Good morning. Do you find your seats? If you would, as you're finding your seats, you return to Exodus chapter 23. Exodus 23. We'll be starting in verse 20. And I know as I make this announcement right now, it's going to completely stop snowing altogether. But we are canceling Advent tonight um, because of the snow. So uh, we'll make that announcement at the end of the service too. But uh, we made that call, and so it'll stop snowing. It'll be sunny in an hour. So there you go. Um, Exodus 23, verse 20, if you would, stand for the reading of God's word this morning. Behold... I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice and do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my anger goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and uh, the Hivites, and my, when my angel goes before you and brings you to the, to the Amorites, the Hittites, and the Pezzarites, the Canaanites, and the Hivites, the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars and pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come, and I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines, and from the wilderness of the Euphrates, for I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. You shall not dwell, they shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me, for if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Lord and God, our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your word, your revelation, your words to us, Lord, as we continue to go through the book of Exodus, Lord. I thank you for the consistency that we see in scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, Lord, that you truly are the author. Even though there are 66 different books, well, there are over 40 different human authors. You inspired it all, Lord, and we see the consistency, God, in the pages of Scripture. I thank you for that testimony this morning, Lord. I pray that that is clearly seen, that we see that there is one hero, Lord, of Scripture, and that is your Son, that the Old Testament points to him, or the New Testament is about him, Lord, and we, Lord, are called to put our faith and follow him, Lord, and obey his voice. Lord, I pray that that's clearly seen this morning, and I pray that you're with us. Open up our hearts to your truth, Lord, in your son's name. Amen. We're going to be finishing up chapter 3 of the book of Exodus, and uh, as I prayed this morning, one thing I really love about preaching through the Old Testament is being able to point out all the interconnections and consistencies between the Old Testament and the New Testament. A lot of people struggle with seeing these consistencies in the Old Testament and New Testament, so it's a joy for me to point them out because, to be honest, they amaze me. 
They amaze me just because of how perfect the Old and New Testament fit together. These documents that were written so many years apart from each other. Last week we saw this in in three feasts that were commanded in Exodus 23, foreshadowing Jesus and the gospel. Three feasts, the first one being the Feast of Unleavened Bread that's connected to Passover, which pointed straight to the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. It was on Passover, the Feast of Harvest, or what the New Testament uh, believers, or New Testament um, time called was Pentecost, which happened 50 days later after Passover, which pointed to the harvest of the church that was coming in in the book of Acts. And I didn't mention this last week, but the Feast of Ingathering, uh, which many theologians believe point to the celebration at the end of the age when all the harvest will be gathered together. The church is, uh, will be at the end of the harvest, and we see the celebration in the book of Revelation, just a, a perfect fit in the New Testament what the Old Testament pointed forward to. Again, these three feasts perfectly foreshadowed what we see in the New Testament, pointing Israel forward to Jesus and the gospel. Well, I believe we're going to see something similar today, a passage that perfectly connects the Old Testament to the New Testament. And so let me just walk through uh, what I'd like to do this morning. There's three parts of the sermon. Uh, the first part, what I, what I want to do is just kind of walk through the passage verse by verse, what I just read, and look at the blessings and warnings, or blessings and curses, that God gives to Israel at the end of the book of the covenant. And we'll talk more about that. The second thing I like to do is I want to spend some time talking about the angel that's talked about in verses 20 through 23, the first three verses that I read this morning. And finally, I want to end with some application for us uh, New Testament believers. So just three parts of the sermon, the blessings and warnings, the angel— and the application. So let's start with the blessings and warnings. Uh, Pretty typical we see uh, from an ancient Near East covenant, and we see this in historical documents, that that these covenants would end with blessings and curses, or blessings and warnings. Blessings if the people kept the covenant, and curses or warnings if they failed to keep the covenant, the stipulations in the covenant. Again, we're at the end of what theologians call the Book of the Covenant, which is chapters 21 through 23. It's exactly what we see at the very end of the Book of the Covenant. We see, again, mostly these civil laws to govern Israel, these stipulations for Israel to be within the covenant with God, and we see blessings and warnings, and we're going to see them go back and forth in the passage this morning. So let me just show you what I mean. If you look at verse 20, we start with a warning. Verse 20 says this, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. This is, of course, the promised land, the place that I have prepared, that God has prepared, the promised land. God is going to send his angel before you to guard you on the way. This angel is going to guard them on the way to the promised land, the place where God has prepared. Now here's the warning, verse 21. Pay careful attention to him, and obey his voice, and do not rebel against him, for he, again, this is the angel, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. Now, we're going to come back and talk about this angel a little bit more in the second part of the sermon, but I just want you to hear the warning. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgressions. In other words, there will be judgment. The Israelites will not listen if they rebel against this angel that God is going to send to the Israelites. So that's the warning that we see, and this is followed by a blessing. Again, there's this back and forth that we see in this passage. The blessing is found in verse 22. It says this, but, but if you carefully obey his voice, And do all that I say, then, here's the blessing, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Hezerites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out. Again, the blessing is this, that God is going to cast out or blot out Israel's enemies within the land, within the promised land. He's going to blot them out from the land, 
if Israel carefully obeys the angel's voice. That's the blessing which leads to another warning. Verse 24. You shall not bow down to their gods or serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break, down, or break their pillars in pieces. In other words, don't serve their gods. When, when you drive the people, or when I drive the people out of the land, don't serve their gods. In fact, completely destroy all their religious artifacts, whatever is left over. Just get rid of it. Break it down to pieces. Break their pillars in pieces. Now, this may seem obvious to us. In fact, I think it's hard for us to kind of connect with the Israelites. Right? Obvious to us that Israel is not to worship these false pagan gods, especially after what they've witnessed with Yahweh, the one true God. The first and second commandment just make it very clear that they weren't to worship these false gods that the Canaanites worshipped. But there was a temptation to worship it, and I don't think that these false gods, and I don't think we understand why, so let me just explain. In, antiqu- in antiquity, people worshipped multiple gods. They were um, polytheistic. In fact, the, the idea of worshiping one God, right, what Israel was to do, worship one God who, who was the God of all, a monotheistic religion, was just unheard of in antiquity. Everyone worshiped multiple gods. They were polytheistic, and these false gods were always connected to a land. And they promised health, rain, fertility, freedom from famine and drought, full harvests within the land. Meaning the Amorites, the Hittites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, all these people worshipped gods, false gods, that they believed were connected to the land and promised, and if I can just sum it up, health, wealth, and prosperity. Just what people believed in antiquity. And God knew that this would be a temptation for Israel to worship these gods as they entered into the land. So this leads to the next blessing. And if you understand that context, this blessing makes sense. Look at verse 25. You shall serve, or honor, or worship. You shall serve the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, meaning Yahweh, God's name. You shall serve Yahweh, your God, and he will bless your bread and your water. In other words, no drought or famine. And I will take sickness away from you. There'll be health in the land, in other words. None shall miscarry or be barren in in your land. There will be fertility. I will fulfill the number of your days. There will be long life. Now, just as a side note, so we're really clear on this, uh, these blessings, just like the law in the Book of the Covenant, these blessings were for Israel when they entered into the Promised Land. And the point of them was not to promise health, wealth, and prosperity. Meaning it was for a specific situation, but but the point of these blessings was to make it clear that, that there is only one God, and his name is Yahweh. He's in charge of the rain, health, fertility, life and death of people. He's sovereign over these things, not the false gods of the Canaanites. Yahweh is sovereign, and he's not limited to one land. He's the God of all creation. He's the God of all the earth, the universe, all creation. Therefore, blessings come from him. Don't worship these false gods that can do nothing. And this keeps going. Look at verse 27. I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come, and I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you, and I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites and the Canaanites and the Hittites from before you. Let me stop here. This phrase, I will send hornets before you, we see it a number of times in the Old Testament. It could literally mean that God will send hornets to the, the, their enemies to drive them out of the land or to send them into confusion, but it's probably more realistically a figure of speech that God is going to bring so much terror to these people of the Israelites as they're coming to them that it will be like how terrified a person is when they're getting attacked by hornets. It's a figure of speech saying that that's the type of terror they'll have. And we actually see this in the book of Joshua as, as Rahab makes it very clear that all the people within the land are terrified of the Israelites because they've heard of what happened with the Egyptians and the crossing of the Red Sea and the Egyptian army being devastated. 
happening. This is what God was doing. Verse 29 says this, I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I'll drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. Again, this is a blessing. God's saying, I'm not going to just drive everyone out all at once in one year. Instead, verse 30 says, little by little, I will drive them out. And the reason for this was so that the land didn't lay desolate and barren and be overran by wild animals. Even this is a blessing from God that he was going to drive them out little by little so they could slowly take over the land, working the land, farming the land. Verse 31, and I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness of the Euphrates, for I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before and you shall drive them out before you. Again, this is all part of the blessing that God is promising for obeying. Right? Which leads to the final warning. Verse thirty two says this You shall not you shall make no covenant with them. You shall make no covenant with the people that are within the land. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. If the people are not driven out, in other words, from the land, and if you make a covenant with the people within the land that you won't attack each other, right, there will be... There will be consequences of that. They will cause Israel to sin. They'll tempt Israel to worship false gods. And these false gods will be a snare. The Hebrew word just means like a trap for a small animal, a snare, a trap for the Israelites. Therefore, Israel is not to make a covenant with the people. They were to overthrow them completely and to tear down all their religious artifacts, their pillars, the altars, Tear them down to pieces. Again, look at the end of verse 33. It says, For if you serve, right, honor or worship, if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Well, guess what happened? We know the history of Israel. We know the Old Testament. They failed. Right? Turn to Judges 2, verse 1. Judges 2, verse 1. As you're turning there, let me just give you the context. This is years later after these warnings and blessings were given to Israel, after God entered into the covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai in Exodus 20 through 23, and we see the book of the covenant, and then we see these warnings and blessings. These are years later. The Israelites are in the promised land. There's been a generation that has passed away. Verse 1 says this, Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgad to Bochim, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. Again, this is the covenant that he made at Mount Sinai, what we've been spending so much time in. Verse 2, And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars. Now, what is this? This is referring back to Exodus 23. Israel was not to make a covenant with the inhabitants, with the people within the promised land. Israel was to break down their altars, their religious symbols, their pillars. And they were also to listen to the voice of the angel. Again, Exodus 23.20 says this, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you, on the way, and to bring you to the place that I have prepared, pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Look at the end of verse 2. But you have not obeyed my voice. Who's talking? Verse 1 makes it very clear, the angel of the Lord. Again, verse 2 says this, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but you shall become, or they shall become thorns in your side, and their God shall be a snare to you. 
again. This is just Exodus 23. Exodus 23, verse 33 says this, For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. This is the warnings that that God gave his people. Look at verse 4. It says this, As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. Israel failed. And they fail and fail and fail, but they failed to listen to the voice of the angel. They served the false gods, and these false gods became a snare to them. Now skip down to verse 15, because if you know the book of Judges, it's just a mess. And verse 15 just kind of sums it all up. It says this, verse 15, Judges 2, it says, Whenever they, that's the Israelites, whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm. As the Lord had warned, well, when did he warn this? Exodus 23, our passage. As the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them, And they were in terrible distress. In other words, the Israelites forfeited God's blessings because they refused to listen to God's angel. Now, let me just say this. If you know the book of Judges, it's a pretty wild book. uh, I could say so much about it, but there's one thing that I, I think you need to pay attention to in the book of Judges. It's actually God's grace, because God's grace is seen throughout the book. Every time God's people turn to him in distress, every time they repent from their sins, God saved them. He, he, he puts his blessings on them. He's gracious to them. He raised up judges. That's where it gets his name. He raises up judges to save them from their enemies. Every single time they repent, God is gracious on them. So we see God's grace throughout the book of Judges. But that's not what I want to focus on this morning. Verse 2 says this, But you have not obeyed my voice. And then verse 4 says this in the book of Judges, As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words. So here's my question. Who is this angel? Who is this angel? This brings me to the second part of the sermon this morning, which I just want to focus on this angel this morning. If you would, turn to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to kind of be bouncing here and there again this morning. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Let me ask a question as you're turning there. Don't answer this out loud, because I did do a sermon on Exodus 3, and I answered this question in that sermon. But who appeared to Moses in the burning bush? Look at what Exodus 3, verse 1 says. Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, verse 2, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Who appeared to him in the bush? Verse 2 says the angel of the Lord, right? Again, listen to verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Again, Just like Exodus, or uh, Judges chapter 2, verse 2 says this, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in the burning bush. Then verse 4 says this, God called to him out of the bush. In other words, there's this correlation that we see between this angel and God. There's some kind of connection between these two people. Now, if you would, turn to Acts Chapter 7, verse 30. Again, like I said, we're going to be jumping around a lot this morning, in the second part especially. I just want to show you the Bible is so consistent. Acts is the New Testament, obviously. This is well over a thousand years later. Written well over a thousand years later. Obviously two different authors, but one person inspiring 
both one God. Context is not that important, but just so you know, Stephen is retelling the story of Moses, and this is what he says in verse 30. Now, when 40 years had passed, what? An angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. An angel appeared to him. Verse 31, when Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. Right? The angel is in the bush, in other words, and he's speaking with the voice of the Lord. Listen to what he says, verse 32. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the afflictions of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now, come, I will send you to Egypt. Verse 35. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man, listen to this, God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. Very consistent. Very consistent with Exodus chapter 3. And really, it's not just Exodus. This is very consistent with the whole Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the word angel is used 213 times. The word is used 213 times. About 90 of those times, it refers to a particular angel, the angel of the Lord. And just think about that. That's, that's almost half the times that word angel is used. It's referring to the angel of the Lord, a particular character. Right? The first time that we see this character is in Genesis 16. The last time... He appears, and we see him, is in Malachi chapter 3, which are, if you know your scriptures, the first and last books of the Old Testament. Meaning this character, the angel of the Lord, spans the entire Old Testament. Not just Exodus. In fact, this character, this person, this angel of the Lord, interacts with some of the most important figures in the Old Testament. Right? This is not an exhaustive list, but Hagar... In Genesis 16, Abraham, he interacts with Abraham in Genesis 22. He interacts with Jacob in Genesis 31 and 32. Moses in the burning bush, which we just talked about in Genesis 3. Uh, Balaam in Numbers 22. Joshua in Joshua 5. Gideon in Judges 6. David in 2 Samuel 24. Elijah in 1 Kings 19. Hezekiah in 2 Kings 19. Daniel in Daniel 6. Six and Zechariah and Zechariah chapters 1 and chapters 3. This angel of the Lord, in other words, is a major character in the Old Testament. That's not what's most amazing about him. What is most amazing about this character is that consistently throughout the whole Old Testament, over and over again, he's presented as equal with God. Let me give you a few examples. Turn to Genesis 16, verse 11. Sixteen, verse 11. It says this, And the angel of the Lord said to her, this is Hagar, said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your afflictions. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Verse 13, listen to this. So she is, this is Hagar, so she called the name of the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, that means Yahweh, called the name of Yahweh who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. Did you guys see that? Verse 11, the angel of the Lord said to her, verse 13, so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. 
Turn to Genesis 22, verse 9 now. one of the most beloved stories in scripture very familiar to us verse 9 when they came to the place of which God had told him Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said Abraham Abraham and he said here I am he said do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him for now I know that you fear God seeing you have not withheld your son your only son from who from me me being God but it's the angel of the Lord talking again verse 11 the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven Turn to Judges 6, verse 12. Judges 6, verse 12. Just in this one verse, listen to this. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord, capital L-R-D again, Yahweh, Yahweh is with you. Let's just put that together real quick. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and he said, Yahweh is with you. O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds? Just keep that in the back of your mind. Wonderful deeds, that word, that phrase. Wonderful deeds that our Father reaccount to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hands of Midian. And the Lord, that's again, this is Yahweh, and Yahweh turned to him and said, Go. Well, who's talking? Verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Verse 14, and Yahweh turned to him and said, go. And I could just go on and on with examples. The angel of the Lord consistently is called God. The angel of the Lord is given the name of God. In our passage, he's given the name of God in Exodus 23, Yahweh. The angel of the Lord speaks for God. The angel of the Lord has the authority of God. The angel of the Lord is worshipped like God. Yet, and this is super important, the angel of the Lord is clearly distinct from God. Listen to Zechariah chapter 1, verse 12. It says this, Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, what's happening? This character, this angel of the Lord, is praying to God. O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah against which You have been angry these 70 years. Listen to verse 13. And the Lord answered. Yahweh answered gracious and comforting words to the angel. Yahweh is talking with this angel, in other words. Not only that, in our passage, Exodus 23, Numbers 20, 2 Kings 19, this angel is sent by God. Meaning this angel is submissive to God. Under his authority. Now, I'm treading on holy ground here because nowhere in Scripture is the identity of the angel of the Lord clearly given. But let's just look at the facts. The angel of the Lord is seen as equal to God, yet is separate from God in person, able to talk to God, in other words, even praise Yahweh, even is sent by Yahweh, by God. Therefore, who is this? I believe the angel of the Lord is Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God. God the Son, the second member of the Trinity. Now, what throws most people off by this is 
is, um, if this is Jesus, then why is he called an angel? Right? If, if the angel of the Lord is Jesus, then, then why call him an angel? Why not the Son of God, even? like we see in the New Testament? Well, the answer is actually pretty simple. The word angel is transliterated from the Hebrew word angel. It, it just means messenger. If you were to translate the word angel, it would be messenger. God's angels, in other words, are his messengers. So every time we see the angel of the Lord, it could be translated and properly translated, the messenger of Yahweh. Let me ask this question. Who is the greatest messenger of God? Who's the great prophet to come? Who reveals God more than anyone else? Who says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? Jesus. Therefore, the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Christ, the pre-incarnate Jesus, God the Son. Now, it's almost Christmas. We're getting close to Christmas, and we're in Exodus. So how do we make a connection from Exodus to Christmas? Well, that word incarnate is super important right now. Christmas is a celebration of Jesus' incarnation. We get the word carnal, flesh, right? Incarnation, meaning Jesus taking on flesh, Jesus becoming human, Jesus being born in a manger. Well, the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Jesus, meaning before he took on flesh, before he became human, before the manger. I guess before the first Christmas. And again, since it's Christmas and we're celebrating the first Christmas, since we're celebrating Jesus' incarnation, let's make that connection. If you would, turn to Judges 15, uh, 13, verse 15. You should be in 6. Turn to chapter 13, verse 15. Verse 15 says this. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, there he is, please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. In other words, why don't you stay here and and have dinner with us? And let me say this, when the angel of the Lord appears, often people mistake him for being just a, a man. Verse 16, the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, if you detain me, I will not eat of your food, but if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that this was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? That's a very important question. It's the same question Jacob asked in Genesis 32 when a man appeared to him and he wrestled with the man. And later on it said that Jacob wrestled with God. He asks this man his name, and the man says, I'm not giving it to you. (laughs) Same question Moses anticipates in Exodus 3 from the Israelites. They're going to ask, what is your name? What is your name? So that when your words come true, we may honor you. I think Manoah is saying right here is, is tell us your name so we we know who you are. We know your character. Who are you? I think Manoah is getting that this is not just a mere man. So he asked him his name. Well, listen how the angel of the Lord responds. Verse 18, the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask me my name, seeing it is wonderful? Now, that's somewhat a weird response, right? In fact, if someone responded that way to you, asking them for their name, you'd probably walk away. Um, But there's something that's kind of lost in translation here. What, What... this angel is saying is something like this. My name is too wonderful for you. I can't give you my name. It's too wonderful for you. I think it's the same response that the man gives, right, who is God, to Jacob after wrestling with him. I'm not telling you my name. It's too wonderful for you. A good paraphrase would be something like this. Why do you ask me my name? It's too wonderful for you, Manoah. It's beyond you. It's too wonderful. It reminds me of Psalm 139.6, which says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. I can't even know his name. It's too high. Look at verse 19. So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works 
wonders. There's that phrase again, works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching, and when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Man, I wish I had time to just elaborate on that, but let's keep going. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. Pretty amazing event that happens here. But again, look at verse 18. The angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask me my name, seeing it is wonderful? We see this word wonderful throughout Scripture, and it's a word of divinity, I believe. It describes God. Psalm 1 verse 9 says this, I'll give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart, and I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. Psalm 78.4 says, Tell to the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord, that's Yahweh, and his might and the wonders that he has done. The miracles. Psalm 136.4 says this, To him who alone does great wonders. Psalm 139.14 says this, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, I believe we use this incorrectly as somehow praising ourselves that we were wonderfully made. This was actually a praise to God because we didn't make ourselves. Look what it says next. Wonderful are your works. Again, Judges 13, 18, the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name seeing it is wonderful? In other words, my name is wonderful. Again, it's getting close to Christmas, so let me just read Isaiah 9, 6, which says this. For to us, a child is born, Jesus. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Comma, Counselor, Comma, Mighty God, Comma, everlasting father, prince of peace. I believe the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Christ, and his name shall be called Wonderful. And it's called Wonderful because it's beyond us. It's too wonderful. It's too high. We cannot attain it. In fact, let me just connect it one more place and just show you just how perfect Scripture is. The angel of the Lord asked, asked, why do you ask me? My name is too wonderful for you. Well, listen to the description of Jesus in Revelation 19.11. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. This is Jesus. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. This is a scary Jesus, by the way. And on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. In other words, it's too wonderful for anyone to know. It's high, it's beyond us. Now turn back to Exodus 23. Exodus 23. I want to finish the sermon this morning on the application, the last point. Last part of the sermon, the application for us. Exodus chapter 23, verse 20. Let's see if these three verses have new meaning to us as we walk through them. Verse 20. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. The Israelites, in other words, were to follow the angel as he led them on the way in the wilderness, on the way to the promised land, a place that God had prepared for them, the place that I have prepared. Now listen to what Jesus tells his disciples thousands of years later in the New Testament. This is John 14.1. It says this, Let not your hearts be troubled, Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to what? Prepare a place for you. 
And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. I will go and prepare a place for you, then I will take you to myself. I'll show you the way. In fact, look at verse 4. It says this, and you know, or listen to verse 4. It says this, and you know the way to where I go. And this is what Thomas asked. Thomas asked him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, just like the angel who led the Israelites to the promised land, the place that God had prepared for them, Jesus is leading his disciples, is leading us to the place he has prepared for them, for us. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Listen, there is no way to paradise. There is no way to eternal life. There is no way to the promised land. There is no way to God except through Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Therefore, look at verse 21. Therefore, pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. You know what that reminds me of? Philippians 2, 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's perfect consistency between the Old and New Testament. Verse 22. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. In other words, I'll bless you if you obey the angel's voice, if you obey his voice. Verse 23, when my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out. In other words, when you are wandering in the wilderness, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. You're in the wilderness. There will be trials. But remember, you are just passing through the wilderness to the promised land. The wilderness is not your home. And my angel will be with you in the wilderness. He will lead you. He will guard you. He'll protect you. He will go before you, and he will prepare a place for you in the promised land. Now listen to what Jesus told his disciples at the end of his ministry, the Great Commission, Matthew 29, 19. 28:19 says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them uh, to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, what? Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here's the application. Just like the angel was with the Israelites in the wilderness, preparing the way for them, Jesus is with us in this life, preparing the way for us, the way to eternity. That's our promised land. Therefore, we are called to listen to him. We are called to follow him. We are called to put our faith and trust in him. And when, and when things get hard, when this life gets hard and we face trials, we are to find comfort that he is with us to the end of the age. This passage in Exodus 23 just perfectly points forward to our relationship with Jesus. Let me end with a quote this morning. That sums up this entire passage. This should should encourage us all in our spiritual pilgrimage. Like the Israelites, we have received salvation. We have crossed from death to life through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
but we have not yet reached the promised land, and the way is long and hard. We must endure many hard trials and suffer many painful sorrows in the journey of our faith. But God has given us a guardian Savior who will lead us where we need to go. Jesus will protect us from danger along the way. If we listen to his word, he will tell us everything we need to know. And in the end, he will lead us home to God. Let's pray. Dear God, our Father, Lord, God, I'm just humbled by how perfectly consistent your word is. God, I am humble, Lord, that not only would you send Jesus in the Old Testament right, as a messenger of you to protect the Israelites, but you would send your Son, Lord, to die on the cross for our sins, that whoever would believe in him, Lord, will have eternal life, will be forgiven, will receive your grace by trusting him and following him and repenting from our rebellious ways, Lord. God, I pray as we go through the Old Testament, Lord, we consistently see, Lord, that it all points forward to your Son. That the New Testament clearly reveals him and the good news of Jesus Christ. And that we will praise you for eternity because of your grace that you've bestowed on us through him. In your Son's name, 